reasons for distress are rising up like a flood around you. There's tons. So much of life is like billows, waves crashing over you. And it feels at times potentially like there is this giant sea monster of life that is after you, chasing you down after you have fallen into the depths of the ocean. And so the question is not if you will be swallowed up by the whale of distress, but how you will respond when you are swallowed up. Now, listen, if you want to be a force to be reckoned with in life, if you want to be a giant oak that stays sturdy and firm in the midst of the waves of the storm, the waves of the wind, you have to know how to handle distress. If you're going to be a husband and a father who helps your family and stays strong in the middle of trials, well, you need to know how to handle distress. If you're going to be like a mother who's the heart of the family, holding the family together, you have to know how to handle distress. And if you are a single person and you are surrounded by a sea of married couples, there's a bit of distress in that. You have to know how to rise up out of that. If you want to be a fierce friend, steadfast friend, you have to know how to handle the distress of others. And, and look, if you want to bring heaven upon the earth through your vocation and what you do, you have to know how to handle distress. So how do you do it? There is a truth that is paramount over all other truths. And that truth is that salvation belongs to the Lord. He owns it. It's his. And he gives it out. So these five words have been called the shortest summary of the entire Bible. And we're in our series called Jonah. It's a tale of compassion, death, and resurrection. And last week for Easter, we saw the gift of the resurrection. We saw the claims of it by Christ before he resurrected from the dead. But we also investigated it. And we saw that it's pretty hard to deny a historical resurrection of Christ. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to ask this question. What does the resurrection have to do with the way I live my life? What does the resurrection have to say about the distress that I'm walking through? So today, what we find is Jonah has been gripped by distress. And he's been pulled down to the bottom of the sea and he's been imprisoned there. And he's going to teach us how to get out. So I'm going to read to you from Jonah 1, verses 17, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2 to verse 10. God's word to us. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, 
You brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. First point. Hope in distress. There's a saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Now, this is just a little clever way of saying that when life gets hard enough, when distress is high enough, that even atheists will reach their lowest by calling up to God. And so that means when you're at your lowest, when, when it's there, you'll actually begin to reach the heights Longing for a miracle to come and deliver you. Now, there's something that people wrestle with. Is this story, is this a figurative fish, or is this a literal fish that comes and swallows up Jonah? And this word fish can also be translated into sea, as sea monster. That's why it's sometimes called a whale. Now, so some Christians will say this is a fictional story, that's pointing to a literal truth of the death and resurrection of Christ. Some people will say it's, it's literal, and some people will say that, well, it's literal fiction. It's meant to point to the greater truth of the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and I will say that in this story, there, there's no evidence that we should think that this isn't a literal story that has happened. There's nothing in the text that would show us that. But I think that even asking this question is kind of missing the point. Because here's the deal. You're never going to believe in the reliability of a story like this until you're at distress. Until you're the middle of it. Until the waves and the billows are coming over upon you. It's then that you, in desperation, start believing or hoping in some type of miracle. Some type of hope. Something that will deliver you out of the seas that you have been sucked down into the bottom of. That's why there are no atheists in foxholes, or so the saying goes. And so this becomes like a state of mind. The same way that when you are in distress in a foxhole, you reach up for God the same way. Look, life is like a foxhole. It's going to throw billows at you. It's going to throw waves at you. It's going to take you into a storm. So how do you respond? By reaching up in hope. If you will believe, look, I mean, this is the great question. Can God, who created all things, rip open the heavens and come down and be with us? If he can't, there is no hope in distress. But if he can, you have all the hope that you could need. So life is like a foxhole. And depression and anxiety. I know you. I know a lot of you are crippled by this. If the heavens are closed and God cannot come down, well, you're going to find your anxiety and your distress and your depression sinking you deeper and deeper into hell. But if God can open it up, open up the heavens, it means he can come down and he can raise you up out of the depression that you are in, out of the anxiety that you are in. In your addictive sin, 
You hope that he can save you. And it's, look, he's not just forgiving you. So I, I meant to say this earlier, this, this word salvation, it's about something that's happened in the past, something that's happening to you now in the present, and something that will happen in the future. And so that means that resurrection is not just for a future thing. Resurrection is not just a future event. It's something that's happening to you now. And that gives you hope. And then so that means in the trial, you have hope in the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. So in your addictive sin, you say, okay, it's not just that you are forgiven. That is good, but there's more. He's lifting you up out of the sin that grips you and holds you because you don't think it's going to let you go. You don't know how you're going to escape it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is going through it. And he's in distress. And he's, I mean, he's been drugged down to the bottom of the sea. And there at the bottom, he says, wait. He talks to himself and he says, I need to stop doing what I'm doing and I need to do something different. And what does he do? He starts talking to his soul. This is life lesson. Learn to talk to your soul. And here's what he says. Soul, what are you doing? Hope in God. And it's not until that Jonah is swallowed up by distress that he cries out with hope. Now, this is our second point. Prayer prayer in distress. There's a specific way that Jonah cries out when he's in the belly of the whale. He's not just throwing up these random thoughts towards God. They're all calculated. And Robert Alter, the, the Hebrew scholar and translator, he says, here's what Jonah's doing. This is likely a song that was sung in the temple. And Jonah is singing this song back up to God. Other commentators will say that what Jonah is doing is taking a collection of psalms and he's putting them all together and he's offering up this prayer song up to God. When you are in distress, listen, listen, listen. When you are distressed, pray God's words back to him. Verse 6, we're told to remember the Lord, and Jonah does it by a song. So, those who are the strongest in the storm are those who know God's word best and can pray it back to him. I'm not saying you know God's words like a scholar would know God's words. I'm saying you know God's words because they've been deep down in your heart for a long time. And so, Jonah is instinctually praying back up to God. So the question is, do you know God's word? Has it been brought into your heart so much so that you will instinctually, when you're going through it, pray those words right back up to God? My mother and grandmother know the scriptures well. And in a lot of ways, I'm like Timothy in the Bible, a product of my mother's faith and my grandmother's faith. And right now, Grandma Gloria is coming to the end of her life. And she's ready to go. Like, she wants God to call her home. And it's just not happening. She keeps coming right to the end of her life. And then it's like the rewind button comes again. And so what's happening is she's needing to rely on the strength of God that comes from the scriptures to face death over and over and over again. Because there's a trial leading right up to it. And she thinks it's about to happen. And then there's the rewind button. And I'm going to tell you, you need strength for that. 
And she's finding her strength in God's word. And my mother knows the God's word well. So my mother is speaking God's words to her. And I'm going and meeting with her and we're talking. And, we're, and whenever we're in the word, her strength rises. And it's like she's like, okay, I'm ready to do it again. Let's face what's before me. She knows the scriptures well. And again, this isn't about a scholarly knowledge of scripture. This is about the kind of knowledge that's echoing in your heart. It's like you have a bookshelf in your heart of God's word. And you just, for whatever you're going through, you, you take the book and you open it up and you begin calling out to God with the words that he's already given you. You know, a lot of people tell me they don't know how to pray. All you got to do is open up the Bible and read the Psalms. Those Psalms are prayers to God. Just learn the Psalms and you'll know how to pray beautifully. So you need strength, and, and, and you need strength to live well, because it's one thing to die well. It's another thing to live well as you're coming up to your death. And what's happening to Grandma Gloria is she keeps on having to do that over and over and over again. It's like five times in now. And that's hard. And you need to have the strength to live well. And not just you. Maybe at the end of your parents' life, they need you to have the strength to help them through what they're going through. And your children need you to have the strength to help them get through what they're getting through. And your spouse, and your friends, the people that you love, they're more reliant on you maybe than you realize. And if you have God's word deep in your heart, you've got some substance to you that you can offer them. So let's get real practical here. Here's what this means. It means you're memorizing scripture. And if you're like, oh man, I don't have a good memory. This is not good, David. I don't, I don't memorize scripture very well. Well, I got a solution for you. Songs. The Psalms, but the songs of the church. Songs have a way of, of you sing them over and over and over again. And so what's happening is music is a special gift from God to us because music has a way of opening up our hard hearts to be prepared to hear something. Now, sometimes what could be put in our hearts is a bad thing. And so you take God's word, you take music, and music kind of maybe softens your heart a little bit, and then God's word gets put into your heart. And now look at what you've got. You've got this beautiful bookshelf of all these songs that the church has given you so that you, in distress, know what to pray up to God. And that's why it's important that we pick good songs. It's why it's important that you have good songs for you to sing over and over, because I'm going to tell you something. When you're in the belly of a fish, when you're in the distress of life, you can't write a song to God then. There's too much going on. You need to already know it. And so what that means is you can't wait till life gets hard to know the scriptures well. You have to prepare for the battle beforehand. Scriptures are your lifeline in the depths of the ocean. Because you will be swallowed by it. And this is our third point, swallowed by distress. I want to tell you something that it's... Uh, scripture can be very disturbing or comforting depending on how you see it. So this line right here, this is God's word telling us this, and it says, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. 
God did it. It's not that God allowed the fish to come after Jonah. God appointed the fish. And God brought the storm upon Jonah. The waves and the billows, those are God's waves and billows that have been brought upon him. Now, look, if you don't believe that God is good or wise, that fish is evil. That storm is evil. But if you believe that God is good, he's infinitely good, infinitely wise, and infinitely loving, then you start thinking, wait, maybe there's something more to this storm than I'm understanding. Maybe there's something more to this trial than I see or that I feel. In other words, sea monsters aren't always what they seem. Because the purpose of this fish was to turn Jonah back around. Not only to get Jonah back physically onto dry land, but to get his heart back onto dry land. And if you remember this, weeks ago, and if you weren't here, I'll tell you right now, when Jonah is running from God, it's described as him going down, always. He went down to the city of Joppa. He went down to where the boats were. He went down into the boat. He went down into the sea, and he went down into the belly of the fish. In other words, whenever you run from God, you are always running down. And it was Jonah's heart that was taking him down. God's allowing him to do it, but at some point, God even helps him. God's like, okay, you want to run away from me here? I'm going to send you a fish that will even take you further from me. Oh, God, that's messed up. Well, maybe. Or maybe what God's doing is showing Jonah the end to which he's running into. Maybe this is a gracious move on God's part. I mean, if he's good and he's wise and he's gracious, then perhaps this fish is, a, is like a movie before Jonah saying, look, this is, where you're, this is where you're taking your life. Look where you're running, Jonah. Open your eyes and see. And so that means that you might be misinterpreting the distress that's coming in your life. There might be a good purpose behind it. It might actually be the catalyst to your transformation. Look, okay, I'm going to be careful here. That doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean you're like, oh, yay, trials are coming. It means that somehow God will bring good out of the trial. And so let's just do, let's take a trip all the way to the bottom of his distress. It says, the root of the mountains He's going down to the root of the mountains. Now, that's a poetic way of saying the foundations of the earth. He's reached the bottom of the sea. He's gone as far down as you can possibly go. And not only that, it's worse because he's tangled up by all these weeds of the sea. And then there's this giant monster that has swallowed him up. And, and it's like in this, he's described as being in a prison. So you imagine the, the, the ribs, the bones of this fish are like a jail that he is stuck in. And so there's three truths here. First truth. God is found at the bottom, not the top. Second truth. Those who've been to the bottom and come up, they have the most substance and strength to them. And then third truth, God's the only one that can lift you up. He's the God of the resurrection. Only him and him alone. 
when you have lost everything, when you feel alone, when you are in the depths of distress, there is no hope other than Christ, and that's when you actually find him. You don't know that he's all you need until he is all that you have. Because our hearts are hard, and he's right in front of us, but we keep on exchanging him for other things. So he strips you of everything, and then he sits beside you, and you look over at him, and you say, oh, you really are all that I need, and I never knew it until now. At the bottom, Jonah finds that salvation belongs to the Lord. The fish was not there to destroy Jonah. The fish was there to destroy the parts of Jonah that were keeping Jonah from God, and that is a very different thing. God is at work in destroying the parts of you that keep you from him. Like a good surgeon, he's cutting the parts of you away that refuse to go to him. And on top of that, God's strength becomes the pain reliever. Like, you're going to go through it. Life is going to be difficult. There will be pain, but his strength is your pain reliever through it. Him, his presence. And then we got to deal with this. So Jonah wasn't just swallowed by distress. He was captured by it. So, but it was Jonah's doing, yet God appointed the fish. And so there's this strange mystery that's happening here where Jonah is completely responsible for what's happened to him, yet God is sovereign and in control of all of it. And that is a bit of a mystery. But let's dive into it. So captured in distress. So the weeds have entrapped him. The fish's ribs look like prison bars of death. And then it says... This phrase, this weird phrase, those who pay regard to idols. Now, the phrase pay regard to means to be ensnared by. So what it's literally saying is that those who are ensnared by idols. In other words, idols will grip you, ensnare you, pull you to the bottom and will not let you go. And then it goes on and it says, and those who do that will forsake the cords of God's redemptive love. In other words, here's what it means. You're stuck by your idols. You're brought down to the bottom of the sea, and God's going fishing for you. And he's sending out his redemptive cords of love for you to grasp hold of, but your idols will not let you take hold of them, hold of God's love. You can't do it. And do you know what that means? It means that your idols are far more dangerous than some sea monster. Your idols entrap you and keep you from God. What's Jonah's idol? Seems to be his pride. He's the idol of pride. And it's manifesting itself in a few different ways. So, so one, Jonah is a patriotic prophet. And he's a bit worried about going to Nineveh. I think he's a bit worried about going to Nineveh because he does not want to be shamed by all of his prophet friends back home because Nineveh is Nineveh. Oh, in Nineveh, the Ninevites are the enemies of the Israelites. Jonah hates them, and his friends hate them. And if Jonah's the one who goes to Nineveh to save the Ninevites, well, he's a sellout, and he'll be shamed. But his real problem is this. Here's the deeper problem. Jonah believes that the Ninevites deserve death, but he does not. 
His pride is thinking that the Ninevites deserve death more than him, and that is what brought death upon him. Now, if there's a warning to hear, it's right here. As soon as you point the finger, the finger is turned back upon you. Grace begets grace. But judgment begets judgment. That's why there's this line that says, God, forgive, forgive us as we forgive others in the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is a significant line to understand, and it's a big warning because here's what it means. If you can't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Who have you not forgiven? There's a warning in that because it's revealing your heart because those who have been forgiven by God realize that they did not deserve it. They've been stripped of their pride, and they say, I, if I can be forgiven by God for all the things that I have done, surely I can forgive somebody for what they've done to me. And if you can't forgive, then you need to start wondering, do you really believe that you have been forgiven by God? Here's what else you got to realize. Each and every Christian is a miracle. You did not save yourself. And you did not have the ability to save yourself. And so if you're looking at this story of this giant fish swallowing up Jonah and spitting him out onto dry land, and you say, that could not be true. I want to tell you, you as a Christian are a greater miracle than this story. You are at the depths. You are at the bottom. And if God can't do this with the fish, then he can't do it with you. All I'm saying here is you have to come to terms with the reality that God can rend open the heavens and he can come down not only into the earth, but he can come down to the bottom where you are and be there with you and then take you by the hand and lift you up out of the death that you are in. That is a miracle. And until you see that, you will have this idol of pride ensnaring you saying, I don't need God to get out of this. You need him. Always. There's too many things in your life that you are facing without him. Don't tell yourself, I got this. Say, we got this. And you go running to God and you say, God, I can't do it on my own. And then he, then he strengthens you. And he lifts you up. Now, if you are humble, you will admit that. That you're helpless without God. And it's then that we see Jonah renewed by faith. This is our last point, faith in distress. Verse 4. We see Jonah, like, where did he get this confidence? All of a sudden, there at the bottom of the sea, he just starts praying, God, I'm going to see you again in the temple. Like, where did that come from? I will look upon your holy temple again. How did he get this faith? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Jonah knows very well the promises of God. And Jonah is right in this moment coming to terms with God is gracious. It's the same thing that he came to terms with when God said, go to the Ninevites and preach to them. You know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because he knew God would be gracious to them. He didn't want God to be gracious. But the same reason that kept him from going to the Ninevites, there at the bottom, he says, yes, God, you are gracious. Even to me, here at the bottom. He reminds himself of this, and he says, God, I will be in the temple soon again. Now, he does take a trip in a sea monster, 
So don't be surprised because this is about repentance. This is about being there at the bottom and saying, what am I doing? Soul, what am I doing? Hope in God. And you look up at him and, you, and your, your faith is strengthened, but then be ready for to be swallowed up by the sea monster. Now, you might think that the sea monster is a danger to you, but it's a friend to you, actually. It's all depending on what you make of Christ. Now, this is, oh, don't miss this. Nothing can save Jonah from the bottom of the sea except something big enough to deal with the depths of the ocean. And so it must be a monster. But the monster of death is coming for all of us. And death can be your greatest enemy or your friend, depending on what you make of Christ. If you make much of Christ, if you go all in with Christ, death spits you out into paradise. If you never discover who Jesus is and what he's done, death swallows you. And nothing pulls you up because nothing resurrects you. So you're stuck swallowed in death. Death can be a friend. Depends what you make of Christ. And there's one more, there's one more way to view this fish. Because death at the bottom there, it represents, well, this, the seas, at the bottom of the seas, it represents death. It represents Sheol. This is the abyss. This is the, the nothingness at the bottom. And God's a, God appoints a fish to come and save you, and that fish is Christ. Now, he is a bit, I want to be careful here. Don't misunderstand what I say here. He is a bit of a monster, but not to you. He comes to you like the Lamb of God. And then he unites himself to you and you to him by faith, and he swallows you up. It's like you're clothed in him now. And because he is this monster, not to you. He goes to the bottom and he becomes a monster to sin, death, hell, and Satan. And he destroys everything that is wrong so that he could lift you up to the surface and put you onto the shores of paradise forever. That is the resurrection. And that is the strength that is in him that you call out for in your distress. So now in your distress, you have nothing to fear because you have the one who comes to you at the bottom. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness, you have sent your son and we praise you that that is true. Let us not take this reality lightly but God, most of all, let us hope at the bottom. Let us find you there at the bottom. Let us see that you are with us at the bottom. So we might hold to you for hope and then strengthen our hope so it might turn to faith so that we might be brought back up. God, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.